Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. It's episode 57 and as per usual my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout and this week I am joined by an absolutely stellar actor. Please welcome to the podcast Chris Jenkins. Drama School Dropout No graduation day for you Drama School Dropout Hello. Hello. For the first Welsh actor. I think. I mean, I could be wrong. Like now that I'm thinking about it. No, you are. No, you are. <laughs> Unless somebody's Welsh and doesn't say that they're Welsh, you're the first. Okay, fine. Well, you know, we're we're ticking the diversity boxes. <laughs> Um, so how's life just now? Yeah, all right. It's been, you know, COVID roller coaster as everyone's had. Ugh. Um, Fuck the Tories. Yeah, Sorry, all... I had to say it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish we actually had a summer. That would be nice. Yeah, that that would like if we could get a bit of nice weather to like accompany kind of the skip skip from like spring to autumn. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not here for it to be honest. But what I like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast is, how did you get into acting, and what was your very first role? Oh my god, what was my first role? We love a nativity story. Yeah, I've well, that's the funny thing is that I've never done a nativity. Wow, never ever. <laughs> well, not that I know of. Um, I think my first role, um, it must have been something to do in, in primary school. But at, at the time, I was kind of in the choir and playing the cello and stuff. I don't play it now, but um, I, I played it in in primary school. But then when I went to secondary school, I had amazing secondary school that dealt with drama and music really well. And it was oh. just a comprehensive school. But Can't they, relate. they, yeah, well, I was, yeah, I realized how lucky we were because in year eight they did a musical every single year and you had to you couldn't not be part of it unless you had a written permission oh wow so everyone had to be in it and then they also did musicals every year or plays every year as well and they funded themselves to kind of build their own auditorium and amazing music department so i was really lucky to go to a school that you know their own departments focused on themselves and self-funded Mm. or the facilities that we had and it was amazing i loved that so i think it was probably my year eight musical that was called gel <laughs> uh not grease yeah. gel <laughs> gel <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like a similar thing my school was at sports academy do i look like oh, i do it? sports <laughs> um <laughs> and no i i went to school in the northeast of england so it was sort of like they were very concerned about grades, league tables, and I was sort of like, well, I'm never going to use GCSE science in my life, so what's the point of yeah. doing And they were like, yeah, well, yeah. we're going to take you out of GCSE drama, we're going to put you in extra GCSE science, and I was like, well, I'm not coming to school then. Oh my like, god. So Try that. So yeah, wish I could relate to um, having a great school that sort of <laughs> accompanied everything. But hey, 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 look. I but didn't I'm here. Nativity, so. See, but this is the issue. I know I done one, but nobody can remember what the fuck I played. <laughs> and you're like, that's not the review I want. So it's sort of like it was either really nothing, like I was playing a doorknob, or I was that shit that people had like trying to like shield me from it. <laughs> um, but while I was doing my research, or as I like to call it, legal stalking, I found out yeah. that you went to Guildford School of Acting. 
which yeah i mean the amount of like this is just becoming an alumni podcast for guildford school of acting the amount of people has it yeah like genuinely um nicole faraday there was a new um graduate that was in a show that i produced this year called andrew houghton lords i'm gonna i was gonna try and name them there but i will fail and will embarrass <laughs> myself um so yeah slowly turning into a gsa alumni podcast but one of my favorite things that I like to ask people that have went to drama school is what is your favorite crazy, funny drama school story? Because we've all been in those rooms behind those doors. We know that the craziest shit happens. Yeah. So there's, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have said this, that there's a lot of crazy shit that happens at drama school. That's my favorite and thing you in just, the world. You kind of have to just throw yourself into it and you think, you know, if a psychology student was doing this, or no, let's just say, like a, a math student was doing this, they they would lose their mind. But there's there's a module that we did called animal studies, and you basically had to pick an animal that um you you would be, and you had to. Did you get a class trip to the zoo to do that module? We did. <laughs> well, we went, we went to Edinburgh said, Zoo. What they actually said was, I love Edinburgh Zoo. What they said was... Um, Built on a hill and I'm fat, though. So, you know. It's, it's <laughs> You've got to pick of... an animal. You've got to pick an animal that you can observe. Yeah. Uh, like, it's quite easily. So don't pick a wildebeest or something like that. Um, but I, I still picked an elusive one. I picked an otter. Um, and basically, you had to, like, pick out the characteristics of that animal and personify it into human form and see how useful that is. And we went through loads of different things and one of them was uh, and it was run by this a wonderful teacher called ian ricketts who is uh, you know 137 years old and um been teaching there forever and we had we had to go from one corner of the room individually wherever everyone's watching one corner of the room to the other and do the life cycle of that animal so we had to be born <laughs> And then we had to get to adulthood or kind of like mid-age, middle of the room and then get to the other end and die. And kind of, and this was like, the, be the animal, not like the human Yeah, form. I'm laughing because I've done the exact same thing. <laughs> right? And Ian, Ian being in his senior years, um, sometimes found it hard to concentrate. And my, my one friend, she was being a squirrel and she got all the way through got through to the midlife and then got towards the end and kind of died on the floor and she was there for um a minute and a half <laughs> which and, feels like an hour well yeah well and ian is so considered and will let people play things out so we're kind of like watching intently like oh ian's obviously finding this really interesting and then she just goes oh i can't do this anymore my legs are killing and we turn around and ian is asleep <laughs> see the these are the things that i love like we done that exact same module at uni right before i dropped out like we went on the trip to the zoo i dropped out mm. the next day here was the plan right I, w I wouldn't have dropped out if i had to do what you were doing my university were going to be putting on a zoo a walkthrough experience for oh, the rest no. of the uni and we had what, to be the I don't animals. see the point of that. No, me neither. I was like, uh, do you know, I had my issues at uni, but that was sort of like the one that pushed me off the cliff and I was like, I'm gone. Yeah. There was another little thing that we did where we had to, I can't remember whether we had to buy them for ourselves or buy them for other people. Let's say buy them for other people is a better story. Um, you had to go into a charity shop and buy some clothes 
that are completely removed from you. Like think of someone that's is completely different as represented by clothes. It's so it's a really shallow exercise, but um, and then you had to wear those clothes and you had to kind of create the character of, you know, in your head, like flesh out that character of who that person is and then walk around Guildford for the day as that character and see if you can make people believe you. I mean, why would anybody it's, question you? It's the stuff that we just get asked to do. Like I remember Parry Glasspool was on the podcast from Hollyoaks and he uh, he went to an acting school in London. I can't remember which one it was. And they were given like a scenario for improv and he had to get on the tube with like one of his mates and they just had to have an argument about being specky. <laughs> and it's like, why do we agree to some of these things? Like, because yeah. when are you ever going to use that? Yeah, I, I get it. Look, in terms of those individual exercises, you look at them and go, oh, is this actually useful? But then you kind of go, well, what what am I doing? What am, what am I actually going to get out of this in the bigger picture in terms of yeah. I'm making myself look like a fool? So if you're comfortable at kind of being out of your comfort zone, yeah. then that's that. That's like the overall picture. If you can kind of put all those uh exercises under one umbrella that would be let's throw you out of your comfort zone and but yeah i totally agree those individual things are like oh come on i'm not never going to use this but the overall thing does kind of i think you can take something from everything that you do but there's just the sort of corporal punishment side of embarrassment that i'm sort of like cringing about where it's like go out into the public and be a tit like <laughs> i'll do it if i'm getting paid don't worry but like and hey look if you feel like you're in a safe environment and i mean and i mean like within a class and you feel you're supported and no one's going to judge you no one's going to take the piss out of you um and it's kind of a creative supportive environment the best thing you can then do it's incredible but yeah. when you got that what if there's even just one person there who can change the vibe and make you feel like you're being judged then it's just not fun for anyone no like i totally agree like somebody can just break that like chain link of security and it's actually you just have to go okay let's do it (laughs) yeah um what was the biggest lesson that you learned at drama school oh gosh everyone's always got a different answer for this and i love it and i'm listening intently because i'm going back next week to for round two try again i can't Look, I don't think I can tell you what lesson I learned from it. I think what I learned about drama school was that I, from my experience, because everyone's will be individual and depending on what, what, when you went to a certain college, things may have changed according to syllabus, teachers, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, the thing that I learned is that it, all it gave me was exposure and experience to do it more often. And it's, it's like, we always talk about it being a muscle. So let's equate it to getting fit. So let's just say if you exercise every single single day, (laughs) if you exercise every single day, you're going to get physically fit, right? And you're going to get better at what you've been doing. So what drama school afforded me was a chance to practice every single day, whereas that I wouldn't have had that opportunity. Otherwise, I think also because you're you're going you're going back, aren't you? Yeah, I, I dropped out in 2020 after six months of just like a living hell. I took yeah. like a bit of a time out, and then last last November I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply to the conservatoire in Glasgow. It's my dream school. I didn't get it. I got rejected on my 21st birthday, and I was like, I'm going to apply. And then maybe three weeks later, 
another college that's quite close to me sort of opened their applications and I was reading through it and I was like, you know what, this sounds really cool. I'm just going to apply on the off chance that I don't get into the conservatoire and it's sort of, I don't want to say a backup option, but a backup option. And mm -hmm. I, I got to like the third round of the conservatoire. I got knocked back. Uh, I'd done one audition for this college and they accepted me. So, and then I, so as of more I read about it, I was like, do I wait for the conservatoire next year and give it another try? And then like this new college course, pretty fucking banging. Like the Great. stuff that they do. And I was like, you know what? This is the time to go. So yeah, I'm going back for try number two at getting my degree next week. Well, good. Because what I was going to say is that I went to drama school when I was 18 and I hadn't, I just went straight from school. So I had never left education and had a taste of the real world working, sustaining, looking after yourself, not being around social groups all the time, because that's what education gives you. I mean, and... my taste of the world started in quarantine and lockdown. Well, like, yeah, I dropped out hey. two weeks later. But we look, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you feel like you've learned a lot of things about oh, yourself 100%. in that time. That, that's my point, really, is yeah. that I feel like I think some people are more successful once they've had a bit of learning about themselves in the real world and then going to drama school Couldn't agree because more. they start to understand you start to understand the limits that you have so then once you know the the, the limits you can start to push past them mm -hmm. and see okay well what can I achieve a bit further than what I thought I could rather than being still being in a process of education and going, okay, well, we're still learning. And you take it for granted because you're surrounded by lots of educational things that maybe you're not interested in. In So when you've had some time away from it, and then you go to something that you want to be doing, you, I feel like I would have soaked up so much more if I had had time out of education before going yeah. to drama school. I, I think that's already sort of started for me because when I auditioned, I'd, I'd done the audition. We had to send a, a tape in, like just two mm. monologues, and then they'd done like a Zoom interview. And I came off the interview and I, I said to one of my best mates who I am who I was bubbled up with, I was like, I'm not getting in. Like, that was terrible. I didn't really give the answers that they want. I only asked one question. Like, that just did not go well. I'm not getting in, so I need to get a job. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm not getting a student loan, so I need to get a job. <laughs> and then I, I sat with my friend. It was the first night Love Island come back on, and me and my friend mm. are trash white people, so we watched Love Island. Um, and I got the email through, and I was like, oh, here we go. I'm about to get rejected. And like my jaw hit the floor when it said, like, we'll give you an offer. And my mate was like, so you didn't get in? like Because I was that shocked. It looked like I was being fake. I was like, no, look, yeah, yeah. I got in. So that's already started. Like I've realized I can do more than I thought and maybe not to like doubt myself as much. So yeah, that's great. And you know, they, they see potential drama schools see potential in people and it's not a finished product. And, you know, you feel like, like you said, you haven't answered the questions properly or you don't feel like you've done yourself justice. They will see that they're what they probably saw your limits that you recognized in your question mm. and say okay but there's something else there i think there's a bit more to him so let's 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 bring him in Fingers let's let's crossed. have him yeah so that's that's great that's really great and when it comes to auditions i think you know there's I, th I know a lot of people have changed their mindset since leaving drama school because drama school seems to make people think that you have to change yourself to be um employable yeah. And actually, what's the most employable thing is you and, you know, changing that mindset of going into an audition and thinking, OK, well, 
Um, hi guys, this is what I do. Would you like it? Or I hear you have a problem, which is you don't have anyone for this. Um, would you like to employ me? Because this is what, this is what I do. And as long as you feel like you've done yourself justice in an audition, whether you get it or not, that's kind of what you want from an, from a a good mental health standpoint of dealing with auditions. Mm -hmm. It's just, I like, I love auditions now, genuinely, like. Good. one of my favorite things to do i was meant to audition for something today and i had to cancel because it conflicted with other dates and shit i was a bit pissed off i was like oh i uh. wanted to do it um but w- what else i like to ask is you've done loads of cool things we're going to talk about them in a minute but what has been your biggest what the fuck moment in a good way oh. not a bad way i mean you can tell it's bad if you want okay so there's been the what the fuck am i doing moment is I did spam a lot uh, at the Playhouse Theatre about seven, eight years ago now. And I was covering all, all the nights and stuff, and I had I had an absolute ball on that job. It was one of the one of my favourite jobs I ever do because it was just so much fun. And the, the team, it, like I said, it was like that culture of safety and happiness and being able to play and stuff, and there's no judgment. Um, but there was a moment where I had a really, really quick change out of some sort of hideous minstrel outfit and I was doing really quick change to put on some sparkly tights and a sparkly habit to play the sexy nun and I kind of want to see a I picture was... of that now like now that <laughs> you've said ba- it I was backstage and I was trying to rush on these tights and I ripped them and I thought what the fuck am I doing with my life <laughs> to go on and do a part of dirt as a sexy nun <laughs> yeah like what is the, was the student loan worth it? The debt that I'm in. But you just kind of like, what? What am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> I'm getting paid to do this in the West End. This is bizarre. I'm getting paid. I've had some of those moments. And I'm like, well, I yeah, them to make me do this. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There's lots. There's lots of that, and we've all done that. You know, uh, we've all gone through that. And I think you know, other moments of like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm here. Um, ah. Uh, I've got, I've been thrown on for parts that I've not rehearsed for, uh, in the Dominion singing like huge songs. And I thought, what the fuck am I doing? I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I've also had a wonderful moment. Uh, I worked, I did about three operas at the Royal Opera House and I was doing, I wasn't singing in it. Um, but I was doing a lot of stage combat and acting. So I, I did a lot of stage combat in Guildford and afterwards and being able to be on stage with the Royal Opera House um, chorus on stage and the orchestra. And then you've got one of the three tenors, Placido Domingo, standing right next to you. And they're all belting their tits off. And I was standing there like in looking at that theatre going, wow. Yeah. The existential like, moment of shit. this is insane. I've made it's it, just, mom. It's just, you know. <laughs> you just have those moments and go, I think we take things for granted sometimes and we kind of just assume it as a job and go, oh, this is fun. Yeah, it's great that I'm doing this. And we kind of try and play it down to other people as well because we're sensitive of other people who aren't working and our friends and what have you. And um, But you've got to celebrate it yourself sometimes. And um, those, those, are, those are those moments, I think. What was it? like going on tour in China with Titanic the musical? It was amazing. It was one of my my kind of like up there jobs. So 
I kind of auditioned for Titanic for a while. It, it, it had existed in the UK for about six years before I joined it. And it's just done tremendously well for Daniel Trento who's been producing it. Um, I think I remember the I, set I, for that and it's really cool, isn't it? Like the boat. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's, re yeah, it's really, really lovely. Um, and I've kind of, you know, met Danielle throughout the years and we never actually worked together, but we've we kind of like got to know each other. And she called she called me in one day and said, oh, do you mind coming into audition for it? And I was the only person there. And I kind of was like, I think I've got the job before I've done anything. It's not really an audition, is it? If it's just me. So I was... I was singing it and I was ill and I was like, I can't, I can't get up there today, Danielle. She went, it's fine. I know, I know you can do it, but I just need to film it. And I just kept on cracking all the time. And she was like, no, 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 just do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I'm going to, I'm only going to send her one that you do right. <laughs> so she was really gracious. And then at the end she said, uh, are you free in a couple of weeks to go to China? I was like, uh, yes. Oh, all right. And that point, the tour wasn't going to start for another few months and they were just opening in Woking as another leg of the tour and then going to Germany and Woking to Germany. And um, I was like, yeah, okay. So she sent me and another cast member, uh, Matt, to China for two, two days to do uh, PR stuff. So we flew to Shanghai and we did a couple of PR things there, uh, singing some songs. And then uh, that day we got a train up to Beijing and then did the same there and then had a night over there and did another day and then flew home. So it was like a whirlwind As tour of, of China. And I loved just doing that. And I was a little apprehensive of going to China because of the, you know, the myths of censorship and being followed and et cetera, et cetera, being from the West. But we had nothing but like amazing welcome yeah. and care and looked after really well and a little bit too much sometimes. And I'm talking about the tour as well. Now we were looked after a little bit too much. So yeah, I just like, me dinner, go away. Well, it's not that it's kind of like they would do anything for you. And I said, we were like, it's, it's really fine. And you can't help but feel that your, your race comes into play and especially being blonde as well, um, because the country was closed for so long, they just don't have experience of people who are white and blonde and tall and blue eyes, or taller than taller than them, blue eyes, all that kind of stuff. And you kind of you feel uncomfortable sometimes that they would go out of their way to do something for you, and yeah. that might be part of the culture. But um, we kind of treated incredibly sort of that, well like, white guilt as well isn't it like a lot of that comes into play yeah absolutely absolutely but i have to say i had the best time over there not because of that but i i'm someone who loves to kind of plan where i'm going exactly how to get there yeah me you too. know city mapper is an absolute dream for me <laughs> and you can't you can't use that stuff in china and um so like we spoke about earlier, I was out of my comfort zone in that respect. You couldn't read any of the signs anywhere. There was no English anywhere. Why should there be? And, you know, there's not, they got a completely different alphabet. So you had no idea what you couldn't even, even recognize begin. things. Exactly. <laughs> but um, out, being out of that comfort zone was amazing. I loved the food, um, loved the food. I know some people struggled. Thankfully, I didn't see anything that I didn't want to see in like, wet markets and things yeah. like that.
um there wasn't i managed to avoid all of that not purposely it just you know i didn't come across it if you were booked in the west end to do a two-person show and the producer said do you know what chris no financial restraints who do you want to be your co-star and you can pick anyone in the world oh my god so i'm gonna be really shallow do it and just say jake gyllenhaal because i fancy him <laughs> see I, I, i've never thought about that and he's a great and he's a great actor <laughs> I, i've never thought about doing it that way i always say catherine tate because she's just like oh do God, you catherine tate like i well, would probably... me. i just go straight for oh who do i fancy who i'd like to play opposite <laughs> Like, <laughs> Catherine Tate could genuinely stand in the middle of London and say, right, we are marching on the palace and I'm now going to be <laughs> Queen of Britain and I would follow her. Like, I would be like, yes, <laughs> let's go. Um, not that Catherine, I imagine, would ever do that. But now I, I, I want to talk to you about something that just makes me extremely jealous because it's my dream role. You got to play, well, you were the understudy for Tony in Billy Elliot the musical. Oh, yes, yeah. Tony is a role I want to play but I can't sing and I can't dance, so I can't be in the musical and I don't want anyone to touch the film. So I will never play Well, it. look, you know, it's fine. You can, you would absolutely get by in the musical. You know, people are meant to be minors and they're meant to be community singers. And I'm not even- This is not a reflection of everyone who was cast in Billy Elliot up to date. I'm not even a, like, I can't even get up there with the community singers. Like I am torn deaf. Like, <laughs> he doesn't sing that much to be fair. But I don't want them to touch um, but, the film. This is the issue. Like the film is golden. Yeah. So don't remake it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I it's agree. one of my like, like I love it. But what was it like? How did you um find becoming part of the Billy Elliot legacy? Because it shaped my life and it was it sort of allowed me to see that it was okay to be a boy and be in the performing arts industry. And it's done that for so many thousands of people around the world. So what was that sort of like taking on part of that legacy? So I had seen the film, but I hadn't actually seen the show when I auditioned for it. And I auditioned for it and I got through to the finals and I thought, well, I better go and watch it then. <laughs> and I watched it and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is quite something. Um, I wasn't sure how it was going to translate on onto stage, but Stephen Daldry is is a bit of a genius, and you know, having done the film, he knows how and knows theatre very well. Mm. He he was a very very and Lee Hall as well who wrote it um, were amazing at kind of finding those little bits of the story that are integral to Billy Elliot and being able to put them on stage and adapt it into a musical. Um, so I watched it and I thought, oh my God, I was, I'm, I amazed myself how much I cried and how much I felt like Billy was my own child. Mm. Um, I felt so proud, like a parent of him. <laughs> and Decker, who played uh, Billy's dad, he's just remarkable and I think he's incredible. And so when I joined that cast, I was very lucky to join the cast at the right time because we had the 10th anniversary when I was there and we did the DVD and um, it was like a worldwide cinema screening, live screening. Yeah. Um, so to be kind of solidified into, into that legacy was quite something. And um, we used to get letters all the time at stage door, be pinned up on the notice board as soon as you walk in. And the letters would normally 
be revolving around coming out. It was more more to do with Michael's story. And um, uh, there was one person who wrote in and said, was a young, young person wrote in and said, I didn't know how to tell my dad that I was gay. And um, I thought uh, this would be a good opportunity to kind of help bridge start the conversation so of coming to see this. And they came to watch it. And when when Michael kissed Billy and it was kind of implied that he's gay, the dads just put their hand on the kid's leg as a sign of acceptance. And we used to have letters like that every single week. Trying to make week. me cry. Well, like... this is the thing. We we come into stage door and people would be crying. And you're like, okay, and we're like, we've got another letter. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not emotionally ready for this one. It's we used to get them all the do. time. Exactly. It's it's, And I think we can get caught up sometimes doing the show, going in every single day, feeling tired, not feeling it, being a bad vibe in the room or something, or something's gone on in your outside life. And yes, we're not we're not uh, saving lives, but we're certainly enriching them. And we are. Do you know what? For those certain people, we're changing lives. Sometimes we do save life. Well, I don't because I've done fuck all. But sometimes lives are saved through acting, and it's it's something. Um, I, I'm going to get his name wrong here. I think Toby Alexander Smith. I think that's his name. If I'm not, I'm really sorry. I just can't remember the guy that plays Gray on EastEnders. He was involved in the domestic abuse storyline and killed his wife. Um, the next day, the night that that happened, I think there was something like a hundred and seventy-eight percent increase in calls to from domestic violence, um, people yeah. who had suffered that, and they were now trying to get out. And sometimes, like, listen, we have a lot of fun and we fuck about on stage, and or as my dad calls it, prancing about on stage, um, to get a real job, Ingram. Um, <laughs> mm. He will, like lives have been saved and i think it's just so fucking magical and the tories that are currently trying to fuck it up fuck you all yeah it's storytelling at the end of the day isn't it on whatever level that may be whether whether that's just having a conversation with your friend in the pub and saying i understand what you're going through yeah. i feel the same i have my own story if you want to hear it i know we're talking about you right now but you know if you want to hear it i have my own story and sharing those stories mm you know, I'm feeling people, people feel heard and understood. And then, you know, you take that up to the highest level in terms of high art, um, mass media, TV, et cetera, et cetera. You're right. When people see themselves represented and understood and explored, then they don't feel so alone. Yeah. And that's actually, I, I mean, my guests are really good at these segues because I want to talk about It's a Sin next. And talking <laughs> about... Talking about that, what was it like to be part of a TV show that's changed the landscape of the stigma that surrounds people with HIV and will have, it's a sin, will have a place in history. Like it will go down yeah. in history. What was that like? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that I had myself taped that I had to do when I was in China. I was in the middle of a show and I did myself tape in the interval. And it was only, it's only a couple of lines and sent it off and then I landed at Heathrow on the way home and my agent called me as I got off the plane and said you got it and I was like what <laughs> and it was called it was called boys at the time it wasn't yeah. called um it's a sin and I was like okay great this is my first kind of speaking tv role it's small but hey let's let's roll with it and then we got sent the script and I read it and I was like oh this is I know I know Russell was uh, you know writing it but I was like 
You're like, this is oh, something else. Wow, this is really great. And you don't really, you get the idea when you read the script, there's so much more in terms of production design, the soundtrack, mm. um, costume design, and the whole world that is created visually and aud audibly. Um, but then when we're on set, I was only there for a, a day, and um, I, I knew Callum, who I was doing the scene with, and um it was it was bizarre to be there and still you didn't really have a real feel of the world especially when you're only there for a day or so um and then when the adverts started coming out I was like oh oh my god this is this is historic this is yeah and then watching it me and my partner Daniel we we really struggled to binge it I know I don't know how people binged it at the end of every episode we were an absolute mess. I have to tell the truth. I haven't watched it yet because of the way people have said, like, I, I know it's amazing and I can't wait to watch it, but people are yeah, sort yeah. of like, you need to be in a good headspace to sort of not have a breakdown through it. And I'm sort you know, of like, yes, not yes, in I that know. good headspace yet. Like, I'm not ready to cry for four hours. I understand that. I get, look, I get that with like Handmaid's Tale. Like you have to be in a good headspace for that because that is so bleak. Ugh. But the thing about It's a Sin is that there is, what Russell has done really, really well, and Peter Hoare, the director, have done really, really well, is recreating the joy of that time as well. Mm. It wasn't just, you know, you weren't living in the midst of a plague. And I know we've just gone through a pandemic ourselves. And I think that's why it was so timely. And the, the right time to put it out was, well, a lucky time, I suppose, was that, you know, even the last 18 months for us has been difficult. It hasn't been joyless. Yeah. You know, we've managed to find joy in certain things. And that's what they've done so well with that series is that they found the amazing moments of the community at the time that maybe were a bit oblivious, maybe a bit um, naive and um, I can't think of the words. And and then you see the actual repercussions and people realize what's going on. Mm -hmm. That's what is so successful about it rather than it being really bleak. Right. Now, so it has brought time. on like, like great great conversations and about HIV and where we are now. Well, I didn't, hasn't talked about where we are now. And I think that was maybe a missed opportunity on channel four's part Yeah. in terms of, you know, you kind of still talking about the eighties and uh, HIV and AIDS epidemic, but you're not still talking about how things have changed and where we are now and how, how much science has advanced. And the fact that we have pills on the NHS, that can stop transmission, right? So I think there was a missed opportunity for even between in ad breaks to kind of talk about- Create a conversation. Un exactly, undetectable, it means untrace um, untraceable, means untransmissible, mm. um, you can't pass it on. And then I really wanted like a follow-up documentary to kind of talk about where we are now. Yeah, that- Because people st still have the idea of that gravestone AIDS advert, you know? ITV do that quite well. They do a lot of um, stuff with mental health and like there's quite a lot of like, we're silencing these ads, like take a chance, take a moment to turn and talk to the person next to you. Like, so that yes, would have yeah. been really cool, like within the ad breaks to like have, have you seen the ITV advert now where it's um, the guy from The Chase, one of the real housewives, I can't remember, Katie Piper, I think. And it's like, oh, I, I they list like what they suffer from and then they're like, just because you can't see everyone's disability doesn't mean it's not there. It would have been really sort of cool to have that sort of thing happen in the ad breaks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to talk to talk about exactly and talk about 
medication as it is now and the fact that it still doesn't it's not a gay disease and mm. and it's so important to kind of talk about that to the general public um then then tell stories then exclusively tell stories of the time because they're dramatically pleasing what mm -hmm. would you call your memoir my memoir yeah i know you're like young and and nowhere near to like being able to write a memoir but what would you call it i'm only writing it down so i can remember it <laughs> <laughs> because i everyone who knows me knows that i have a terrible memory and uh <laughs> so it'd be exactly that it's more for me than anyone else <laughs> i mean my best mate at college he said he said to me uh, a couple of years ago, he said, oh, do you remember that time when the fire brigade had to come around because the the oven was like billowing out black smoke? And I was like, no. no. <laughs> so how can you not remember that? I was like, I've people, I just, not even in my me memory. Shit and I'm like, I don't know what I had for dinner yesterday. So like. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's what I call it. Do you know what? Like, I, I genuinely don't know. Like, I'd probably call mine a lot of bullshit. Like, <laughs> like how I got so lucky or something like that. Um, and then you were just in a play called All That, which, mm. I mean, let's slag the Tories off some more, has been cancelled because of an isolated COVID test, uh, a positive case. Yeah. This is so stupid to me. Like... Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's been a real kicker. It's been, it's been a bit of a roller coaster anyway, in terms of uh, dealing with the pandemic and... <sighs> Uh, there's only four of us in the cast, so and you know the the King's Head is is a small venue, and they've been going for years and years and years, and they've got such integrity in dealing. And Tom O'Connell, who's producing it for King's Head, they they had such integrity in dealing with safety for everyone the yeah. whole time. They were really good. They never put anyone in harm's way, or they were. It was all. It didn't matter about money. It just meant about safety and people's li livelihoods. And they've been absolutely amazing. I don't understand it because I look back on the summer when Scotland were playing in the Euros, and obviously historic moment for us all. We're all celebrating for them. Mm. But one of the team men was it Harry, Billy Maguire, whatever his name was. I can't remember. I'm not I'm not that straight. Um, he tested positive, and the team could still play. I don't understand yeah. it. Like, and I'm going to say it again, fuck Boris, fuck the Tories, get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> it, it grinds my gears. Like, I don't understand why they're allowed something, but theatre isn't. And Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. And you know what? It was an excellent play. Um, it was, it was just, it was, oh, I can't. It's, what was really difficult is that we only had a two week rehearsal period and we were played, we had one of our cast members off anyway, because his partner tested positive and he was on zoom the whole time. And we got to the end of the whole run of rehearsals and we had never done a run of the play ever. And he had been in rehearsal room for th maybe three days maximum. So then we went into tech and everything with him kind of just not done any of the staging <laughs> uh and yeah yeah almost kind of our first full fully fledged run was our our first preview we had we had done a dress run that day but it was kind of everything was still very new and um but having said that it went very well and it was a little bit ropey from our side but the audience wouldn't have noticed every show's just, a little bit ropey in it like yeah yeah just the being best a bit ones more are comfortable as well. in ourselves
Do you think um, um, it'll come back? Because obviously it's a really important show about like queer lives and everything. Do like you know that. what? I I really think it should. Um, I think it really deserves another tour, 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 tour. Yeah, tour. I think it really deserves a another outing because what Sean has has written along with uh, James uh, Calabore, who's the director and has been working on it with him for the last couple of years. Um, they've they've written a story about questioning what's normal in a gay relationship, what's what's what you perceive as normal. So you've got one couple who is monogamous and kind of subscribe to the like the heteronormative ideals of a relationship you know buying a house having a good uh uh being able to afford your mortgage with a decent career and blah 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 blah, getting married and having kids whatever and then you get another couple who move in because the monogamous relationship have fallen on hard times financially and they're open and um and they're way more liberal with their their sex lives and they embrace their sexuality um and they're not both cis either so you've got one cis character and one non-binary and it makes you makes some of the characters question exactly what they think yeah. is normal and what is acceptable and things go on and happen in the play and the drama issues etc etc but what sean has written is a really timely piece that questions who we are within society mm. and i think that the conversations that were had at the pub afterwards would go on for hours and hours and hours talking about these things and that's exactly what theater is right yeah bring up conversations and question things and it was just so beautiful to have that Like I said earlier, one of my favourite things to find out about are crazy drama school stories. And we're going to play a game now called Stage Right or Stage Shite. So these are stories that have been sent in by the listeners. And then our producer, Heather, makes a story up. And it's our job to find out which one is the lie. And I have the one, the lie, in a sealed envelope so we can play along together. And it's genuinely one of my favourite things in the world. Uh, so number one. During my first year on the West End, I was running late to, theater, to the theatre one day and there was a new security guard at stage door. For some reason, my name wasn't on the register at the door and the guy just wouldn't let me in. I even showed, a pic showed him pictures of me in my dressing room and he still wouldn't let me in. After about five minutes of arguing the point, I just phoned the stage manager and she came and rescued me. Number okay. two. During my second year of uni, we were doing Romeo and Juliet and while I was standing on the balcony, it collapsed. Luckily, I was harnessed up, so I was totally fine. But part of the balcony fell on Romeo and he broke his arm. Everyone stormed <laughs> the stage to help him while I was just floating in midair like a Christmas tree fairy. Number three. Okay. My best friend found out that her boyfriend was gay and cheating on her. But found out that her boyfriend was gay and cheating on her because the tech people in college left everyone's mic packs on and her BF and this other guy didn't manually turn their mics off like the rest of us did. And we heard them chatting in the dressing room about their date that they went on the night before. Bit rough. So I think number two is stage shite. Number two. Only I because I think... Why would she be harnessed up in Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. But could also, would you get locked out of a West End theatre like that? That's the one that I initially thought. Well, look, there are some security guards. There are some people who are just job worths, you know? Yeah. That's hey, that. I'm in the show. Let me in. Like, that's that. I literally have a key. <laughs> um, 
you know what? I'm going to agree with you though, because I didn't think about why the fuck is she harnessed up doing Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, it's like a, that's a that's a flashy kind of Romeo and Juliet production for a, a second year in uni. Yeah, you got harnesses. I mean, at least if it's true, they were worried about safety. Oh, number one, she didn't get what? locked outside of the West End. So no, Heather, that's not important. I need to know now that why. you're listening. This Heather, please go back, find the email about Romeo and Juliet because we need to know why she was harnessed up. Was she like flying? Was there like a dream sequence? I've no clue. I need to. I need more context. If you're listening to this episode, whoever sent that in, um, me and Chris would like to have a Zoom with you at your earliest convenience to find out more about this. <laughs> I mean, look, I feel sorry for the Romeo because he broke his arm, yeah. but you know, why the fuck was she in a harness? That's absolute. I didn't even think about that. You know, like I was like, were they were they that kind of like worried about their own? production design and build <laughs> that they just put her in harness. But also now yeah, I we feel think really that's probably going to collapse. For the girlfriend that was getting cheated on. What a way to find out though. They didn't turn their mic packs off. Well look, there's a lot that is heard on uh on those mics, you know. Yeah. That's what the audience don't realize. So for you guys maybe who ha- have not been in a show, we are given our mic packs in our dressing rooms um when we're getting ready before <laughs> like run run like half an hour before the show and they just sit there. And the people who normally sound too, which is the sound engineer that sits backstage, will check all the microphones that they're working properly and can hear every th- single thing that you're saying. They can hear every single thing that you're doing in that toilet. <laughs> Lovely. Um, it's so fun. I'm aware that I've taken up so much of your time. So thank you so much for coming on. I'll let you get back to normal life. But where can everyone find you on social media? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Chris Jenko. Um, Are you on Cameo? Yeah, you find me there. TikTok? No, no, on Cameo, please. <laughs> I just like to ask because I'll, I'll plug it. <laughs> I like. I I don't really understand the concept of. Cameo. I don't think they'd have me. You know, I don't think I have enough followers for them to go. Oh yeah, yeah, you're worth being on here. <laughs> I don't understand the concept of it because I don't think I would ever pay for somebody to have a um, a video message. Well, there's obviously plenty of people who do. Somebody bought one off Caitlyn Jenner and she's $1,000, so somebody has too much money. Wow. If anybody wants to give me $1,000, because you know Caitlyn Jenner's a cunt, um, (laughs) I'm going to get myself in so much trouble on these podcasts. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so lovely chatting to you, and hopefully one day we can do it in person and drink first rounds on me. Yeah, that'd be lovely. But thank you so much for coming on. It's genuinely been really lovely chatting to you. and um, No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'll let you get back to normal life. All right, Anne. Thank you. Thank you. I- have a lovely and good day. Good luck with going back to uni. Yes, thank you so much. Have a lovely day. I hope day. you have a great time. Oh, I hope I'm, it's like I'm everything that you want it to be. Loan. Student loan comes in on Monday, <laughs> and I don't go back until Tuesday, so I'm going shopping on Monday. Amazing. I've got a list Just of go things I want. Just go straight to the fringe. Um, no, I'd rather buy shoes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Right, nice to meet you. Yeah, lovely to meet you too. Bye. Bye. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 57 completed. Thank you so much to Chris for coming on the podcast, and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much you don't even know. If you have a story for Stage Right or Stage Shite, please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com. I will be back again next week with a brand spanking new episode, and I'll 
I'll be joined by one of the best tributes to ever grace the Hunger Games. So make sure to come back next Tuesday. Have a great week. Stay safe. I love you. Bye. Drama school dropout. No graduation day for you. Drama school dropout. Fucked your whole course. Now try something new. Drama school dropout.